people are on Facebook all the time and they're not sitting down for an hour to write their blog post. They're like sort of trying to write a blog post and get an idea and get bored and it feels hard to go over to Facebook. And then an hour later, they're like, man, it takes me so long to write a blog post. It's like, well, you were actually writing your blog post for that whole hour. If you had sat down and just been on this again, I'm a, I am sound like a freaking broken record. If you sat down and you start to write this blog post, it's going to feel, it might feel uncomfortable because it's new or it's hard or you want to tackle something that you've never done before, it feels uncomfortable. And if you can be okay for five minutes being physically uncomfortable and still do the writing anyway, you'll get through it and to the other side and an hour later, you'll have an amazing blog post done. But if you always give in to that discomfort of this is hard and new, so I need to go distract myself, then your productivity goes out the window. So becoming okay with this is hard and feels uncomfortable and I want to crawl out of my skin and I feel like I'm in a straitjacket and I want to run away, but I'm not going to. I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to do the work. You, you like quadruple your productivity. That was Jenny Shee. And you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 106. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. I'm so glad you're joining me today. This episode is part of season 13, which to be honest, feels totally wild. (laughs) Have we really made 13 full seasons? Apparently, yes. Yes, we have. And with each new season, I'm more in awe and more grateful than ever for the way that my guests are willing to show up and to be real about their messy, imperfect lives. I'm also super grateful for you, for listening, for taking two minutes to leave an iTunes review. Seriously, this is such a huge help in spreading the word and helping new people find us. And of course, I'm grateful for those of you who support and fund the show on Patreon. This is truly a community-funded podcast now, and in 2018, you can look forward to five new seasons. That's the plan, five full new seasons in 2018, and they will be more honest than ever before. I would also love the chance in 2018 to meet you in person. Um, My hope is to do 10 small, intimate, and fun Real Talk Live events. I did the first two um, in August and September of 2017 in London and in Portland. And I am hopefully heading to Boston, Seattle, Los Angeles, Chicago, DC, and more. And you can find details and grab a ticket at NicoleAntoinette.com slash events. If you are interested in doing this real talk thing in person and becoming friends in real life, that would be so much fun. In the meantime, I have a wonderful guest to introduce you to today, but in case you're new to the show, I wanted to first take a second and just quickly explain what we do here. So at the heart of it, my guests and I are committed really to just one simple, powerful thing, and that's telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. No one has a magic bullet, 10-day, six-step life hack plan for anything at all. I am a recovering self-help addict. That's my sort of like joking but not so joking (laughs) description of myself, and I'm so over that approach, and I bet that you are too. That's probably why you're here. So that kind of thing is not what the show is about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep into meaningful topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, race 
racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and just about everything in between. This is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects and, warning, often using adult language, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way, even when it's uncomfortable. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. (laughs) So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and will always be free, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope that you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. You might've heard me say this before, but I seriously do believe that where we spend our money is a real time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And when you help to fund this show, that's a vote. You're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the vast majority of whom are women. And when you support this show, you're just saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic at all should be off limits due to fear or shame. This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And as a thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series, where I share my real life in real time. And you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for more real talk live events. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Jenny Shi. Jenny is an uncompromising business coach who works with smart entrepreneurs who are fiercely committed to their own success. Step-by-step, she shows them how to start, grow, and streamline a successful online business without having to work long hours or make huge sacrifices. She believes that with the right systems and strategies, you can make money doing work you love and also live a life you love. In this episode, Jenny tells the story of quitting her high-paying corporate job to start a coaching business, sharing all the fears and mistakes of the early years, as well as the main factors that she feels led to her eventual success. She digs into the common business advice that she totally does not agree with, and she also shares personal stories of her own chronic illness and the decisions that she had to make as the main income earner in her household that allowed her to prioritize her health while keeping her business profitable and successful. Jenny is absolutely filled with wisdom, tactics, and delightful honesty, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. All of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Jenny, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) I am excited too. Um, Where do I want to start? Tell me about your morning. What did you do this morning? Let's see. Well, I actually woke up at five o'clock this morning, not on purpose. I sleep late. My husband woke up and I couldn't fall back to sleep for two hours. And I just was like anxious and ruminating in bed, which was a horrible way to start the day. I fell back to sleep from seven till eight. And then I thought, oh crap, I got to get up and uh, get ready because I have this awesome interview. (laughs) (laughs) And I just checked in with my team because most of them are on the East coast and I made myself some tea and now here we are. What kind of tea? Uh, right now it's a uh, twig kukicha or kukicha twig tea. It's quite earthy and very good. And I'm trying to get off coffee. So this is my substitute. 
can't say I've ever heard of that kind of tea, but I am also a tea drinker. I've never been a coffee drinker. I love the smell, hate the taste, but uh, I'm drinking some peppermint tea right now, and it's delicious. <laughs> awesome. So we're basically having a tea party. That's what's happening right now. <laughs> love it. Um, what's one thing that you have found yourself wishing that people were more open and honest about? Oh, man. I would say <laughs> what's, uh, what's really going on for them? I wish people were more open and honest about what's really going on for them. But the problem with me wishing that is twofold. One, most people don't really know what's going on for them. (laughs) We don't always really know what's going on with us. And um, the second is sometimes when people own what goes on for them, they think then that everybody else has to accommodate uh, what's going on for them. And so that kind of gets messy. So (laughs) I say say this with... uh, with a caveat, I guess. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I've been thinking uh, just, I mean, obviously we think about this all the time in terms of social media and how we're presenting and right that no truth is the whole truth and, and all of that. And I feel like I just want that to be more acknowledged. Even if someone is being honest about something, that still doesn't mean it's the whole story. You still don't know everything about them. Like it's, it's kind of like I feel... I feel both things. Obviously, I believe in honesty and real talk, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this <laughs> this project. And also, it's okay to have things that are just yours. It's become almost this thing that like it's like frowned upon to, you know, not share everything, right? This kind of like authenticity overshare. Like I think that there's a point at which it becomes potentially too much if that makes sense. I completely agree. I'm like head nodding as you're talking. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. There's a, there is a, there is a balance and I don't know what the right one is of sharing and oversharing. And I think sometimes people share as a way of, I see this a lot on Facebook specifically, like where people write a rant, like I'm really pissed off about this and this and this and so-and-so should have done that. And it was such bad customer service at this restaurant. Let me tag them. Like, dude, man, like, why didn't you just show up like an adult and say, hey, we waited for 45 minutes. Can I please talk to the manager? So I think I think sometimes where we have these opportunities where people are told to speak their mind and show up and tell what's going on with them, it also takes away their personal responsibility to show up as adults and deal with their own shit. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there's a balance. Amen. No, I hear you. Oh, man, this could this could be a whole other conversation, which I love. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure things like social media will wind up coming back in uh, in this conversation. Um, but I'm super curious. So your work as a business coach, what makes you a great coach? I, <laughs> you are really putting me on the spot. Yeah, well, we might as well just go there, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, um, I want to say, you know, I think, I don't know, I'm not good at quoting famous people, but I think there's something to be said that I don't walk around thinking I'm a great coach. And that's different from me, me being like, oh yeah, I'm not good at what I do. You know, like, me trying to be like fake humble and also be truly like the people who are great at what they do always strive to be better at what they do and see where their own gaps are in their own performance and always say, how can I get to that next level? So I can say where I am now versus when I started coaching back in 2009, what makes me much better than men is I just have coached so many people and I have seen and I can feel and I trust my instincts. I was just having a conversation online with somebody the other day who was like, you know, it feels really constraining when I try to think about my niche and make it more narrow because I want to help everyone. And I said, okay, great. So like go into that physical sensation in your body of constriction and figure out why. And she's like, well, it's just constricted. So that means it's not right for me. I'm like, no. And I can trust myself to be that kind and direct to her because I've been doing this work for a long time. And I know that when I feel that in somebody that, that 
95% of the time I'm on the right track. That doesn't mean they're ready to receive it. And that's, that's okay. Um, I'm sure I haven't always received all the coaching that's been given to me either. But I think, so at this point, what makes me better than when I started is just the breadth and depth of experience and the number of people I've worked with and really learning to hone and trust my instincts. And also that I see there's room for me to grow. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think, so actually sidebar question, how long have you been doing this? I started out as I did um, some life coach training back in 2008 and 2009, and I started out as a career coach actually for people stuck in jobs they hated, which was me, in 2009, and very quickly realized I was not meant to be a career coach. And so I transitioned and started my business at JennyShe.com in 2011, and that was more like a coach to help people make their ideas happen, which eventually transitioned into me doing business coaching. So I started in a lot more of the squishy stuff. (laughs) <laughs> the squishy stuff. But, I mean, but that's a long time. I mean, especially if yeah. you think about, I don't know, internet years, right? Or like the length of online businesses, that's a long time. And like, I, I mean, I think I joined Twitter in 2008 and that feels like a million lifetimes ago. So, I mean, that's, that's a significant period of time. I love the answer that you gave to that question. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of specific skills of yours that you're great at and things that, that we could talk about to get more sort of granular about it. But this like simple truth that and this obviously like sounds so stupid. The more you do something, the better that you get at it, right? And of, of course, like you're going to be better because you've worked with so many people and continued to work on yourself as a coach at like through that period of time. Sometimes I think, especially online with all the sort of shiny 10 day, whatever, quick fix things that we forget that the answer is consistent hard work over a long period of time. <laughs> right. And you know, it is, it, that becomes one of the things I struggle with most in my own business. And it's because what works in marketing is you can fill your client roster and make consistent income tomorrow when really like, yeah, some people do do it really quick. I have some clients who, you know, blow the roof off and are like, doing amazing in a very short period of time. But for most people, it takes way longer than they want to admit. When I started, I thought it was going to be quick. So I get it. (laughs) And so I have a hard time like really walking that line of um, marketing. So I get people in and I'm really able to help them truly deeply see what it's going to take to make their business successful. But then also like, you know, not pretending that it's going to be this quick, easy fix, like just pop a pill and you're going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me the story of how you first got into coaching at the very beginning. I think you said you started with life coaching, but how did that come about? Yeah. So it was about uh, 2007 and I was working at Hewlett Packard. I have an engineering degree from college and I got a job with Hewlett Packard um, as an engineer. And in a couple of years, so in 2005, I got promoted to be a manager. So I was managing a peer group of engineers. So 16 engineers, people who were doing the job that I just did um, at the, this is like a, we were doing printers, like high tech printer development, which is super not sexy. <laughs> but anyway, that's what we were doing. And so I was promoted into management at 26 in 2005 because um, I just, I'd been talking to my boss, like, yeah, this fine. This is good. I'm really good at being an engineer. This is lovely and all. And I appreciate the bonuses, but like at the end of the day, I don't really like being an engineer. And they're like, well, you're really good with people and blah, blah, blah. So they moved into management and I had first two years were absolute total utter hell um, and then finally I hit my stride and I was like, this is easy. <laughs> like I, I had a knack for managing people and projects and it was great. And then, you know, t- so then we're at 2007 and I hit my stride in my job and I think I'm going to be 30 next year and like, crap, like 
I am on the track to just like become, you know, my boss's boss and then my boss's boss and then like vice president and then I'll be 65 and then I'll retire from this company and then I will say, what did I do with my life? This is not acceptable to me. So I sort of went ahead in my mind and I just thought, I can't, I cannot retire from this company and saying this is all I did. I need to do something better with my, my life. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. And that's been a problem for my entire life. It's still a problem I have today. I never know what I want. And so I had to go on like a soul searching journey. I hired career coaches and regular coaches. And then I sort of remembered, oh, right, like I really like to help people. And I thought I was going to go to night school to become a therapist. And I interviewed some therapists and they're like, actually, I one of them who I had been a therapist of mine, she was like, Jenny, you're, you could do it. But really, you're so much, I see you taking people who are already highly functioning in life and like helping them excel. Have you thought about being a life coach? And I was like, rah, 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 rah. like that life coach, <laughs> what are you talking about? And she said, well, I think you should talk with this woman, Susan. So I talked with Susan and she's in our town and she was doing a talk on the work of Byron Katie. And I went to her talk and Susan's a lovely woman, but I remember like my brain felt so scrambled. I didn't understand, like I understood what she was saying, but it didn't make any sense to me. But there was this thing pulling in my chest that was like, I have to learn more. I have to learn more about this. And I had never had any, like I was an engineer in a very logical, logical uh, oriented family. I never had had such a strong visceral sensation to do something like this before. So I said to my husband, like, all right, I think I want to go do this thing next month in LA. It's like $4,200 <laughs> and I've got to fly down there and I've got to take, you know, nine days off from work or something like that. And he was like, okay. And it was one of those, like, I think he was just saying, okay, to be a good husband. <laughs> but then, so then I, I fly down and I do this thing with Byron Katie and it basically shook up my whole world and I saw everything differently. And from there I was like, okay, maybe there's something to this life coaching thing. And I signed up with Martha Beck and and um, a couple months into training, I decided I'm going to quit my job and do this full time, which is crazy because I'm the breadwinner in our household. But I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to like replace my corporate income. And, you know, within the first year, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> so there, I, that, that's what I did. <laughs> I mean, not replacing my income, <laughs> but I did quit my job. <laughs> okay. So then after what was sort of the first couple of steps that you did after you quit your job? So the first thing I did, so I quit my job in June of 2009 and my husband had uh, quit. So he used to work at Hewlett Packard too. And he's just not wired to work there, especially for the boss he had. And it was just such a bad situation that I sort of was like, listen, you gotta, you gotta go. And so he started sort of a little thing on the side and the way he was getting his clients was through chamber of commerce networking events. And he was going four days a week to networking events, which is funny because he and I are both fairly introverted. And now he's like networking master. It's still introverted, but networking master. And I thought, okay, well, this works for Paul. So I'm going to do the same thing. And I started going to these networking events and I hated them. Like, like so they were so awful and not the people were awful. It's just not the right thing for me. But that's what I did. So I started going to these networking events. I posted flyers around town. Um, Paul helped me get a website up. I started building an email list. I started blogging and there were so many things I did wrong. I mean, so many things about it were wrong, but I just started like doing all these things like, okay, this is what I see people doing to get clients. So I guess this is what I need to do. So those are the things, the things I did. So what was your, I mean, I guess marketing language at the time in terms of I can help you do X, like what were you interested in helping people with? Um, so 
basically corporate women who were, who followed all the right steps, you know, they went and got a good degree and then they got married and had kids. Not all of them were married with kids, but, and they were at this job and they were really good at their job, but their soul felt like it was being sucked out of them. Like they just were like, Oh my God, I love this job. And I I mean, I don't love this job, but I love the pay and I, I don't know what else I want to do. And I can't leave because my family depends on my money. And so, and and so what am I going to do? And so it's really about career coaching to help women figure out what they really wanted to do with their lives career wise. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you said you made a bunch of mistakes. Do you remember any of them at the beginning? Uh, <laughs> well, I remember, so I sort of laugh about this now, but like the blog posts I wrote back then were so like, like it just, I can't, I don't even know the words to describe them. They were just so not concrete, very inaccessible. They were really like, what I see a lot of life coaches do is they write about what they understand, like their own personal learning. So a good life coach is always getting coached herself. And so my blog ended up being like these high level concepts that I was personally working through that were not at all accessible or relatable to my to my clients. Mm -hmm. So I would say that was sort of the biggest one. I look back and laugh and like, I could smile at myself and shake my head and be like, that was funny. (laughs) So you mentioned being the main breadwinner in your house. So before you quit your job, what was that conversation like with your husband? It's funny. My husband's name is Paul too. (laughs) What, um, what was that conversation like? You know, um, it's a, it was a funny and uncomfortable dynamic because, so he had quit his job and um, very like, I'll tell you, the universe took care of us crazy. So we like, we, um, we put a bunch of money on a credit card for him to start his thing. We refinanced both of our cars to have some extra cash and we, it ended up just getting paid off. He quit. I got some extra stock options. A year later, I got like a 25 and a half percent raise at a time when the company wasn't giving anybody raises. I mean, it just like these weird things just happened. So all of a sudden within a year, my income matched almost what our joint income had been. Wow. And then, and then, um, you know, I continued to do well in my job and I had some stock options and some other perks and benefits and we're not super spenders. Um, and so we were saving a lot of it and it was sort of like, I just almost just said it like there was a little bit of asking permission, but also I was the one making the money. So like I sort of took, I kept that responsibility, um, of, leaving and still having to provide. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like I'm leaving and can you take over now? And maybe I would have done that differently in retrospect, but it was more like I'm leaving. Um, I'm leaving. This is just what I need to do Mm -hmm. and, and we'll make it work. And, and I think because I had let him do it, but I had also been one of those really difficult spouses. I see this a lot with my clients. Their spouses don't understand what they're trying to create and they're really difficult. And like, why don't you have more clients and why don't you have more money? And, and all of those like very pressured, not always kind things that spouses say to people starting businesses. I was that obnoxious, mean, unkind, ununderstanding spouse to my husband because I was terrified that we were losing, that we had lost half of our income. Mm-hmm. And so when I quit, it sort of the, the roles reversed a little bit. And he was like, I don't want to be that to you. He kind of took it to an extreme and instead it was like, like not unsupportive, but like absently supportive, you know, like just do your thing, like just, just do it. And so in some ways that helps because I don't know, (laughs) it it almost helps make it easier for me to be like, okay, great. I'm just going to do it because there was no, there was no pushback. It was more like, this is just what I'm going to do. And he's like, well, you helped, you supported me before. So here we go. Mm -hmm. And that was it. So when you, I mean, obviously this was a long time ago, but when you talk about this now, you sound really confident about it. When it was actually happening, what was your biggest fear? 
Oh, you know, I, um, I was at first I was excited. So the first couple weeks, maybe the first month, I actually let myself like detox a little bit, sleep in really late and take care of myself and like breathe. Um, I wished I have, I would have breathed a little longer. Um, and then, but once I started working and I didn't see immediate results, I was pretty much in panic mode for like I, two years straight. And I, I could feel it a little bit then. And I knew that I was nervous, but looking back, I was so much more terrified than I realized I was. And I didn't necessarily know how, yeah, I had the mental life coaching skills, but this was like real primal, visceral, like first chakra level um, security, like that was just ripped out from me and to go out into the world and have to try to navigate without that, without a sense of security that I had before. And people can say corporate jobs aren't secure. That's totally fine. But you know, it, it, it had given me a sense of security and to have that ripped away. I mean, it was a very primal fear response for two years um, mm-hmm. before I, before things started to click. And I would say that's probably what tripped me up into then getting sick. Yeah, which we're definitely going to talk about. But I I think about this a lot that there you sort of hear this the common advice of, you know, have no plan B, get your back against the wall, like put yourself in a situation where you have to make things happen. And maybe that works for some, I mean, it obviously works for some people. Otherwise it wouldn't be people who talked about that. But for me, that's always been completely the opposite of what's true. Mm-hmm. If I'm terrified of, okay, well, how am I going to pay my rent? Or, and I've definitely been in periods of time like that in the past. And I don't produce good creative work at that point. It's yeah. And so I'm, I'm wondering how this sort of, like you said, primal fear that you were feeling, how were you able or, you know, what helped you to be able to sort of, I guess, like put that aside to then like be helpful to your clients or like, how do you <laughs> do, yeah. how do you do good work when you have this like very, very real fear? Yeah, I think uh, you bring up a really great point because I think this, and I've had this conversation with some people before, I think it's a spectrum. And so what I mean by that is like on one side of the spectrum is um, all your needs are met, you're completely taken care of, you have this thing that you want to create that you feel inspired to do, but it's really, really hard. So do you do it? And then on the other end is you're back against the wall, your ass is on the line, like you have to do this thing no matter what, and you don't have like your, when you're brain is flooded with all of that cortisol and all those other hormones that I don't even know what they are, they, it limits your ability to get creative. So there's this full spectrum. And I think we all have a sweet spot somewhere along that line and where it's like, we feel a little bit of a, pre- a little bit of pressure, wherever that pressure comes from, that sort of moves us to perform. Um, but then on the flip side of that line, somewhere is too much that we've become unfunctioning. What I think is true for myself, because I'm going through this, um, this same thing all again, like I am repeating 2009, 2010 in my life again, right now in my business. And I, and it's interesting to see like, oh, this is what happened to me before. And that's why, oh, and, and part of me is kind of realizing, I actually think it might be helpful to me as much as my body does not like it. Um, I am being pushed and propelled to do things that I might not otherwise do with if I hadn't been feeling certain pressures. Now, I don't feel the pressure to pay my mortgage right now, but I am feeling pulled to um, triple, quadruple my business in a massive way. And that includes adding all sorts of people onto my team that I am terrified um, to do. It's like, and, and so there is that like, again, primal survival fear. It's different. And so I'm watching it from this place of like, 
all right, this is what we did before. That's what didn't work. That's what did work. And so to answer your specific question um, is a little bit of compartmentalizing. So I often go to bed and wake up very anxious and kind of freaked out about all sorts of things. But then once I sit down to work, I just get stuff done. Like, mm-hmm. sure, could I be a little bit more creative if there were space and all that sort of stuff? And wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah, maybe. But I also know I might not do it because there wouldn't be a little bit of pressure. And maybe I actually operate better with a little bit of pressure, even though it would be nice if I could do it without sort of the same physical <laughs> physical pain of going there. Does that make sense? I mean, and not only does it make sense, that's the like so brilliantly said. I'm like a bobblehead nodding so much over here. It's, <laughs> it's, I love that idea of it being on a spectrum because I agree with you 100%. Like the, on one hand, for me, if it's, if it's too much pressure in that I literally don't know how I'm going to eat food if I'm not able to be like creative in my brain and write this thing or do like that does not work for me. Um, however, yeah, the other end of the spectrum, I feel like too much comfort is absolutely a trap because then you create all kinds of fake problems for yourself. Anything that's uncomfortable feels bad. And like the only way that we do good work is through being somewhat uncomfortable to everything that you just spoke to. I've been thinking about this so much lately, the idea of sort of understanding, and I'm sure it, like you said, it's different for each different person, what their sweet spot is. But I've been thinking for myself about what are the conditions under which I do my best creative work, specifically with writing? Like what what are the things that make that true, that let me tap into something that feels like very real and very raw? And yet too much comfort is definitely not it. <laughs> you know? And so yeah, yeah I, th- I think that, that that's a really good point. So when you said that you're sort of right now go, like repeating some of the, the, the experiences or the feelings from 2009, 2010, that's because you're trying to scale your business? Well, so it's, it's yes, yes and no. So it's more like, um, so about, this is my fifth year, closing out my fifth year at plus or minus the same revenue level in my business for a whole bunch of reasons. Well, about some of that being me being sick, some of that be being transitioning my business model. But then it also hit me on the head about a year ago, like Jenny, there is something going on in that noggin of yours that is keeping you here. Like I'm just sort of somebody who's primed to grow personally, professionally. Like I just, I am not a status quo kind of person. And so the fact that I've stayed sort of at the same level, plus or minus um, for the last five years, it's like, it's got me, it's got my attention. And so I think, okay, there must be some serious set point here because all these things from changing business model to hiring new people to changing how I do my programs to, you know, blah, 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 I'm still here. (laughs) So, okay, I I am catching on. And, um, and so I think, okay, well, where do I want to go? And what do I want to do? And, and so as I think about the things that I want to create, so I I am not going to be a business coach forever. This is not my end game. You know, this is not the last thing I'm here to do. I don't know what the last thing I'm here to do is. But I recently worked with a coach who sort of forced me, she's like, okay, well, what do you want to create? I was like, I really want to rock this next launch. I want to get, I want to hit this level with my, my business. And she's like, great. How would that feel? And she tells some story. And I was like, well, actually what I really want to do is like hit this other goal. She's like, okay, great. She tells me some story. And I, okay, well, if I were really honest, what I really want to do is this other thing. And she's like, okay, now we're cooking. And then she tells me another story. And then I say, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll tell you the truth. I, I, I really, 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 what I really want to do is help women in third world countries create financial independence for themselves because research shows that when women are financially empowered, um, they bring back money to their families and communities in ways that men just don't do. And how amazing would that be if we helped, if first world women helped third world women be financially empowered. Like, how would that change the world? That would be amazing. That's really what I want to do. She's like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) So, so I'm like, okay. So when I think about that, 
what that looks like, I have no idea. But I imagine, at least where I operate from this point, is that I'll be starting a nonprofit or a foundation or something like that. And I think about how what I do right now can feed into that. So Stu McLaren, who's an internet marketer, he has this business, and I heard him talk a couple years ago about how he had hit several years ago, like however many millions of dollars, and he started to self-sabotage because he... um, he was like, didn't need any more money. And his wife had this idea like, hey, why don't we go do this thing? And they started a nonprofit called World Teacher Aid that helps train teachers and build schools in third world countries. And I heard Stu speak last year and I have been stewing on how he uses his business to fund this nonprofit. And I thought, oh my God, that's it. Like the reason I haven't wanted to grow my business is like, like more love, my money is lovely, but I am not motivated by money in and of itself. Like I had been kind of thinking over the last couple of years, like, man, I wish I just were more motivated by money because then I would make more money, but I'm not. So then I realized like, oh, if I want to go make this bigger thing happen and I still want to enjoy a nice lifestyle, well then I can't like, there's so much scrutiny over how nonprofits are run that I couldn't be, I couldn't get paid by the nonprofit. So wouldn't it be awesome if I found a way to leverage this business I have now where I help women primarily in the first world build businesses, but their work and their, um, what they pay us then helps support women in third world countries. And then my business can support that nonprofit and pay me. And then we, we bypass all the scrutiny and we can leverage what we've had. And so I now feel this, like I then became re-energized to grow my business Okay. So, but then part of that then is like legal and logistical things. So like my assistant who's been working for me for 18 months, legally, I need to turn her into a W2 employee, which comes with all sorts of overhead that I've never had to deal with before. And so I am like, it's almost like I am just being pulled. I am just being pulled to grow my business, to create this next thing. And so the discomfort is a, like, yeah, you could say I've asked for it because I've been like, okay, universe, like <laughs> where am I blocked? What is going on? Why can I not grow? And, I, and I'm sort of being thrust into like, I might as well just go along for the ride. I don't know. Does it make, does this make sense? Oh my God. I mean, I could listen to you talk all day. This is, yeah. First of all, I mean, I love that idea. I'm so curious what happens over the next couple of years. And we could of course do a follow-up conversation, but <laughs> I, I, I love what you were saying about, you know, as soon as you got clear because I mean, not being motivated by money, I feel like after a certain point, right? Like that is like research-based proved to be true, right? Once once you're out of a place of, you know, scarcity, survival mode, right? I don't know exactly what the the numerical number figure is, but that's been said over and over again by different people in different studies that once you hit a certain point that like more money, eh, it's not really going to make as huge of a difference as maybe it would have, you know, earlier on. Um, and I read, I read, um, Jen Sincero's book, You Are a Badass at Making Money. Have you read that? Yes, yes, I I have. Uh-huh. Yeah, so a, a friend of mine recommended it to me because I I mean, I I have a whole bunch as a lot of us do of just like old money stories and stuff from childhood, just like things to work through, right? Like blocks uh-huh. and stuff like you said. And one of the the thing that was most helpful for me of all the exercises and stuff that she had in the book was was essentially asking readers to make a list of what you would do with all of your wealth, right? That it's like because we have this idea that wanting more money is bad and greedy and like there's a lot of stuff that we attach negatively, especially as women to money and wanting to generate abundance and wealth and all of that. And so this idea of, okay, what would you do? You know, like, would you want to, you know, take your mom to Italy or do that? And you, so I went through and I had this list of like, okay, if I was generating, you know, X number, whatever the number was on the list of, you know, money, then these are the ways that I would do it. And these are the ways that it could help support, you know, things that I already donate to and could make bigger contributions. Okay. I could get an electric car. Okay. I could do, and not that it all has to be this like feel good stuff, but it was really helpful for me to be like, okay, if there's, this is tangibly what an extra 
$10,000 a year, $20,000 a year, you know, whatever the number is, this is what it would look like. That was really helpful for me to be like, oh yeah, it is actually okay to want this. <laughs> right. It is, but it's hard. It, it, isn't it funny how hard it is? <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so going back uh, in your timeline a bit, when you said it took about two years um, until, is that until it was profitable, until you felt like you hit your stride? What, what were you referring to at the two-year mark? Yeah. So in about two years, it sort of all clicked in my brain like, oh, like I get marketing. I get, I, I understand how to get clients. Like I had this like I had taken a class, a program on marketing and I, I got it. Like it sort of hit something in my brain that I didn't understand before. And that's when I understood like, okay, now it doesn't mean I was an instantly a whiz at it, but I then saw what I needed to do to grow my business. And that was when like, I just started to take off. So that was the year where, um, that year was when I really started making money. Um, not a ton of money, but <laughs> I was like, okay, great, great. We got like, we got, we got some money coming in. And from there, like that year to the next year to the next year, I just tripled my business because it just like click, click, click. It just, it was like, finally it had clicked in my brain how to market. Mm-hmm. And that, that's when it started to make all the difference. But I will say, um, the two years leading up to that, where I was just getting coached, like regular coached on all my fears and all my own mental stuff. I, I know, I know as much as I can know that that if I had not done that, like hitting my stride marketing wise might not have been there. Like it was almost like I'd done all this mindset work so that once the marketing piece came in, I was set. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I see a lot of people like, I just need to learn marketing. I just need to learn marketing. I'm like, you've got so much stuff going on in your head. That's holding you back that you can be the best, best marketer ever. But if you don't deal with that stuff, at least a little bit, you only can get so far. Yeah. Well, that was something I, that I saw you wrote. Um, I think it was, I don't, I don't remember which blog post I went so deep down the hole of your work, but, um, <laughs> and you said getting to the next level in life or business requires a shit ton of mindset management. And I was like, wanted to underline that a million times to be like, tell me more, tell me what you mean about that. Tell me what your experience is. What do you mean? Well, I mean, so I kind of believe we all, um, we, you know, you were saying like talking about how you have money stuff from childhood. Like we all do. We all have all sorts of stuff from childhood, like, and life, you know, whether that's about money or about success or about being, um, being a public figure or about calling attention to what you do or about bragging on yourself or about being a nice person or about being a mean person. It doesn't matter. We all have all of our stuff and we, we all, and so That's fine because it's just part of being human. But then if you want to go in business, into business where you earn money marketing yourself, that is like prime cauldron opportunity. I don't even know what the right word is for like all your shit to come up because now (laughs) you've got to stand in front of other people. You've got to get photos taken. You've got to do videos. You've got to show up on social media. You've got to write. People might not like what you do. You have to ask for money. You have to serve clients. You, all of this stuff, you you get put to the test in so many ways that you can't like, you're going to hit something. Now, everybody hit what people hit and where they hit it and when they hit it and how they hit it is totally based on our own, like everything before that moment (laughs) in our lives. And so if we want to keep growing and become better at what we do and make it easier and have more fun and make more money or be more successful or impact more people or whatever people's goals are, like you're going to eventually hit one of your, your things, like one of your stories, one of the 
pieces of baggage that you bring along. And if you don't know how to deal with that piece of baggage, you're going to stand right there at that. Like, it's like you're going to be against a wall until you know how to deal with that baggage. Once you do know how to deal with it and deal with it, then you can get to the other side. And then, well, you're, then you're going to hit another wall, but, (laughs) but that's life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think if there's something helpful and freeing, even in just expecting that that's what's going to happen, that there's no like mythical fantasy place where I no longer have to deal with all my shit. <laughs> you know, it's just. Uh... I had a client say to me the other day, like, I know, Jenny, I am doing the mindset work, but like, I feel like I should be over it by now. I'm like, that's the problem. You're never going to be over it. You're going to mm-hmm. have to do this forever. Like there'll be times where you do more of it and times where you do less of it, but you're never done. Do you remember or can you name a couple of specific sort of mental mindset related things that you've had to work on, you know, in the last whatever, six, seven years? Let me see. Um, I think, well, the one we just talked about where clearly I had hit um, like an upper limit on my my personal income and my business revenue. So my business revenue was growing, but my personal income wasn't growing. And so sometimes we see stuff, but we can't name it. So I'm like, okay, I got it. Like we're, there's a limit here, but I don't know what it is. And, um, I still can't totally name it, but I would say that's the one that's most recent. And then I think back to sort of when I was first starting, it was, I just remember being so terrified of video. Like it took me like six months of talking myself up to post my first video on, on YouTube. And I look back and I'm like, Oh, that was so cute. <laughs> like I was, I, I can look back and be like, wow, yeah, I, that was so hard for me and it was fine. And now, you know, I'll f- hop on Facebook live. I don't care. Like I kind of don't care if people um, don't like it, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it's fine. I know what I have to say. And if you don't like it, it just means I'm not for you. And that's, that's absolutely fine. And I would say another one that maybe comes in there, this is a big one. Um, I hear this one a lot from my clients as well is being afraid of their clients being unhappy or unsatisfied with their work. And so, you know, working with a client, especially, uh, especially when it's a one-on-one client really intimately, which I don't do much anymore, but even it's still true in group programs, but to have a client, you know, I'm teaching business to have a client not get clients or to have a client not see the results that they want. I used to feel like that was the end of the, like the end of the world. And they're going to go out on social media and they're going to say what a bad coach I was. And now I think, you know, now the perspective I have is I've been doing this for a really long time. And I have a lot of examples of clients who totally kick ass. And there's a whole bunch of clients who wish there were a magic pill to be successful online. And they're coming to my program, hoping that if they just sit around and absorb it, they will instantly be successful, but they're not willing to do the hard work. And that is not my responsibility. It's my responsibility to call them out on it, but they are adults and it's their responsibility. So like really learning to separate um, what I own and what they own mm-hmm. and really knowing that, no, 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 I, I deliver on my promises. Um, but I, I'm only half of the equation. And part of that is really also teaching my clients. I am only half of the equation. You are the other half. Um, and here's what my half looks like. And here's what your half looks like. Mm-hmm. And when you do your half, because I'm going to do my half, when you do your half, this is what can happen for you. And if it's not happening for you, it's because you're not doing your half and not everybody wants to hear that, but really like coming to terms with that. Now people can write like my main program. We usually call make it work online. We get, you know, ridiculous testimonials and extremely satisfied clients. And every once in a while we'll get somebody who's like, you know, I didn't get all my, I didn't feel like, I don't know, whatever. I got enough attention or something like that. And I'll be like, I'll look back in our Facebook group. I'm like, you posted one question and you never showed up to a coaching call. Like clearly, (laughs) clearly this one's on you. Mm -hmm. And so really being able to separate what I own and, you know, and really taking in feedback when I do need to take in feedback and separating myself from, from that, from my clients who are dealing with their own 
stuff. Yeah, that's so well said. So I'm curious in those first couple of years before things really started to click, before it became profitable, were you doing anything else for money on the side? Uh, I wasn't. So, well, I was and I wasn't. So I quit my job in 2009. I started trying to build this career coaching business for the first six months. I didn't make a single penny. Maybe I like, I think maybe that December I made like 40 bucks or something. <laughs> I don't remember. But then the next year I was just coaching. And then there was this opportunity. Actually, I sort of made the opportunity. I was on the phone with actually the woman who was my coach. And she said, she just made a passing comment like, yeah, I really like, I think I'm ready to hire a VA in my business, but I don't want any VA. I think I want a VA who really understands coaching. And, uh, I then emailed her later that day and said, I could be your, I could be your VA. She's like, okay. And so that, um, that then started bringing in a little bit of money and she referred me to other coaches. And so I started building this little virtual assistant business on the side. Hmm, interesting. Bring it, but it was bringing in a ton of money, but it was bringing in some. Mm-hmm. Were there any specific mentors or teachers or someone who gave you really good advice at the beginning, or it doesn't have to be a specific person, but I'm curious if there's any good advice that you have gotten that's really stuck with you. Um, I would say at the beginning, I worked, I got coached a lot, not on business, but on like all the, the stuff that we all carry around. And those, you know, two years of coaching. So the first two years were me just getting like life coached. And then, then I started getting business, business coaching, <laughs> which I probably should have done sooner, but whatever, it, it, it all worked out fine in the end. But those first two years of the different coaches I worked with, like my own level of understanding of myself, um, sort of on a, like when I would get anxious, understanding like how not to push the anxiety away and figure out what's, why is that there? What is going on? How do I use that? What, like to really sort of process my full experience mentally, emotionally, physically to really connect with all of that. Like those two years were so essential for like Jenny become starting to become like Jenny again, you know, like the one we are when we were very, very little and all of those things we suppressed. It was like more about uncovering all the stuff that had covered up me. And so there isn't necessarily one person or one skill, but like all of that personal work. It's why I'm such a fan of mindset work. I'm not here to teach it. I mean, I can help my clients with a little bit, but that's not my role on this planet. I, I do think it's important to call awareness to it. So I do it in my classes and my programs. And I mention it when I have awesome conversations with people like you, but, <laughs> but really that, that sort of all of that mental, emotional stuff, learning how to process it and deal with it in multiple different ways. So you have all these tools in your toolbox that is the most valuable thing. Cause that's what I'm going back to now as I'm working in this next evolution of my, myself and of my business. I'm just going back to all the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, used over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of thinking of it as building a toolbox because, and not to say that we can't get great pieces of advice or, you know, listen to mistakes and successes that, you know, people who are farther ahead on the path have had. And I think that they're, that's really valuable as well, like having mentors and having teachers. But what you're speaking to of this idea of working on your own stuff and figuring out, cause like your own blocks are just going to keep coming up regardless of the really good advice that you get from someone else. So like, yeah. is there anything more <laughs> valuable than being able to have those tools to, to like take care of your own stuff? Yeah. And, and the more tools you have, the better. So like last night, I don't know if it was last night or the night before, like I, I slipped in the bath and I was like, huh, something's going on. I don't know what's going on. And I like tried one tool, like one technique 
And I was like, yeah, that's not right. And I flipped to another one and I was like, oh, there we go. But it's like one of a dozen ways that I know to sort of get to what's in process, what's really going on with me and to just be able to pick and choose and to have practiced them for so long. So it's not like you're just going to pick up, you know, Jen Sincero's book and like use one exercise and solve all of your money problems forever. As you know, like it's about picking it up and practicing it and using it and being aware of it over and over and over again and making it part of like a habit of how you do your life, like brushing your teeth or showering or changing your clothes or doing your laundry. You're also doing your mindset work. You know, you're Mm -hmm. also looking at paying attention to what's going on with you today so that you can show up as the best version of yourself in the world. Like you know, even though we're not going to do it all well all the time, <laughs> we're going to give ourselves a leg up where we can. I'm really curious, and this might be a tough question to answer, but it's totally selfish because I think about it all the time. So I'm just going to ask it anyway. <laughs> where do you find the line for yourself between this sort of growth work versus, you know, self-help addiction, right? Or like looking at your life and yourself as constantly a problem to be fixed where you're not enough and nothing's enough and there's something to always work on. Because I think that that's, it's really common and a sort of slippery slope and something that I think about all the time. Like what is good growth versus what is not? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I totally understand. And I think I definitely personally bias towards always looking at the problems in my life. Like I'm kind of, as much as I can show up as a glass glass half full for other people, I tend to be a glass half empty in my own life. And I look at all the things that are not working. And I've really started to pay attention to this exact question in my, my own life right now, because really doesn't serve me to always be noticing the things that are not working and to really start to acknowledge the things that are working. But at the same time, okay, fine. Like also accepting that it is part of my bias to always identify problems. That's one of the skills and the gifts I have is that I always find awesome ways to improve things. <laughs> so I always have an eye for how things could be better and I can look at that in a positive light. But then the question I ask myself is, is me trying to fix this personal problem preventing me from moving forward in any area of my life? Like, am I still able to progress in my business? Am I still like able to grow as a wife or a sister or a mother or not a mother, a daughter or, um, you know, like, am I still growing and expanding and contributing in addition while I also work on this same problem? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about it sort of in terms of so there's plenty of things that I could work on, right? And and I would say all of those things are probably legit things that need to be worked on or that I would benefit from having be worked on. But it's trying to pick apart the difference through just like insane radical self-honesty. Is this actually something that I want to work on? Or is this something that, you know, society, culture, this list article that I read, like that the pressure is coming externally, that I feel like I'm supposed to be working on this thing, mm. when actually, if I'm honest with myself, I don't really care about that thing, you know? I completely understand. So I can't remember, maybe it was like five years ago or something like that. I don't remember. But at some point, like I'm fairly small framed, thin person. I'm not super thin, but I'm compared to most people. I'm probably, you know, probably way less. But I remember five years ago or something, me like, this is stupid, Jenny. Like, really? Who cares? Like, who cares what you weigh? Who cares what size your clothes are? And I just decided to stop Like it was sort of that same thing. Like I was just obsessed on this one thing that could be better or could be, I could be more toned or this could be a little smaller or whatever. I forget it. I'm just, we're just not going to worry about that anymore. We're just going to drop that off the list of things because really it's not that important. And so that's more of a physical thing than say uh, maybe a mindset block low. It is mental mindset to do that kind of thing. But really to just decide this doesn't really matter. I don't really care. Like I think I should care because society tells me I should care, but I don't. So Mm -hmm. we're just going to forget it. Yeah, totally. 
So um, going back, you mentioned that there were, it sounds like a couple of, of years in a row or specific periods where your business really kept increasing, right? Profit was increasing, success was increasing. Mm-hmm. I would love if you could sort of look back on that time period or you know any time essentially in your business and share some of the key decisions that you've made in your business that you see a direct link from that decision or that thing that you put in place to increased profit. Yeah. So I would say the first thing is that all of the personal mind, mental, emotional work I did beforehand, I believe that everything was built on the foundation of dealing with all of my own crap and then learning the basics of marketing, like really getting what it means to market and to speak to your customers, like game changer, game changer. That's why I talk a lot about that with my clients. So really understanding your clients and their words and how they talk about things and how they view the world and how that's always changing and how to talk to them. So that was sort of a pivotal moment because once I, okay. And then one more thing was once I um, was on to this jennyshe.com, once I realized I am not meant to be a career coach and I fired all my career coach clients and I closed my career coaching business and I decided I'm going to do jennyshe.com as virtual assistant project management for business owners and coaching to make their ideas happen. I was excited. Like I had never been excited about my business. And so I had this foundation of mindset work. I was now excited to do what I wanted to do. And then I published this website and I started putting myself out there. And then I learned this, some of these key marketing concepts and, and those, that's when everything started to like, my world started to open up and I was excited to talk about what I did. Whereas before I kind of like, didn't like to tell people that I was a life coach And I was then excited to put myself out there and to talk about what I was doing and to talk about the work I do for clients and the results my clients got because I was excited and aligned and sort of all together. And that those those three pieces just started to create this momentum. I'm always like I am a doer. I am an action taker. That is just how I am wired. So once I was sort of aligned in all those three areas, I then was able to just tap into the the doer in me and just go then do all the things like market and blog and email and social media and all those things um, because the other pieces were all lined up. Mm-hmm. So that, that's sort of the start of it. I'm sure there's other little things in the way, but that's kind of um, wouldn't have happened without those three pieces being like clicked in. For you to, when you're talking about learning the specifics of marketing and how to talk to your clients, who did you learn from? Um, I took Marie Forleo's B-School program and, you know, some people take the program and they're like, it does, didn't do anything for me. It was like, she spoke my language and it's funny because it was like the last $2,000 I had (laughs) and I was like, all right, well, we're going all in. And it just, it was like one of those synchronistic right program, right time for me, right frame of mind. And it was just click, click, click. And, um, I was off to the races. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I know that you've worked with a lot of smart women, successful women. If you, and obviously it's hard, I know it's hard to generalize, but if you had to narrow it down, is there a commonality or one thing that you see or hear coming up a lot with your clients that keeps these otherwise, you know, really successful smart women from generating the kind of wealth that they want, like making the leap, sort of like even what you're trying to do now, like leveling up, is there one thing that comes up? Well, so as soon as you're talking, I think about like my, my most successful clients, my most recent group of successful clients, and I'm thinking about all of them. And, um, because I teach business, then it is like, um, it's a, a knowledge gap. I was able to close a knowledge gap for them that took them from passionate, excited, confident in what they do to then like 
serving clients, filling their client rosters, starting waiting lists, replacing their real job income. Like one woman gave notice and quits her job. She's, she is a breadwinner in our household. She's built her business where she can quit her job and run her business full time. Another woman had it like another business, like a brick and mortar shop. And she sold it because she's making enough money in her business to replace that income. So for, for my clients, what I main see is that knowledge gap, but what they bring to the table, they're sort of a mirror of me. They bring to the table, the confidence, they know how to deal with their own like mental drama. They know how to work through their challenges. They know how to call themselves on their own BS. Like that is so key. So many business owners play victim. Like, I don't know what to do, or this is so hard or like nobody likes me or, you know, they play that role. And and the successful people don't play that role. They're like, I am in charge. There's a book by a woman named Carol Dweck called Mindset. And it talks about the difference between fixed mindset and uh, uh, like a fluid mindset. I can't remember the other one. But a fixed mindset says, um, this is the way it is. I'm as smart as I am or not as smart as I am or this is how, like, this is how it is. And the other type of mindset is like, I have the ability to learn. I am in charge of my future. I can take control. It's up to me. And that's awesome because I can count on myself. And so the clients who show up with that, whatever, I can't remember what it's called, fluid mindset, we'll just call it with that fluid mindset, growth mindset, that's what it's called. The clients who show up with that growth mindset, and then they get these like, like business strategies, like these strategic tweaks to what they're doing, that's when everything sort of opens up for them. Mm-hmm. I think if I were a mindset coach, it would be different. I think the answer would be, I have all these clients who understand all this business and marketing stuff, but they're so getting in their own way. And I'm a great mindset yeah. coach. And so, so I, you know, I think that's why I'm such a fan of like those two pieces are so essential, like so essential. So when you talk about and describe what you do, it, you would say that it's on the like strategy tactical side. It is. I call attention to, I call attention to the other stuff. Like I'm like, this is something else. Here are some quick tools to help you pay attention to what's really going on with you in ways that you may not even, like you may not even realize this is a problem for you, but I'm going to show you how it might be. And I'm going to give you some tools, but this is not what this program is all about. But this, this is something that's coming up for you. I strongly, strongly suggest you go work with somebody who's an expert in this concept mm-hmm. or this idea and go work on that. So I like to nod to it and give them some direction, but um, you know, most people just think I just need to know how to get clients. I just need to know what emails to send or how to create the right offers. And so that's what I give them. But I think there's a whole lot more to it. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. So something I would love to talk about is, um, any popular business advice that we hear all the time that you don't totally agree (laughs) with. Tell me like, what do other people believe that you don't believe or don't agree with? Yeah. So one of them is like, you've got to hustle. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, you gotta love Gary V, but He's like a hustle, grind it out, work hard, blah, blah, blah. I know he's not. I, if you really listen to his message, I know he's not that completely. But on the surface, that's what it is. I think that's total BS. Um, research actually shows there's a book um, by a guy named Cal Newport. It's called Deep Work. And I don't know. He studied this in his own life. And I don't have it in front of me right now to know if he's quoting other studies. But basically, like the human brain is only capable of doing four to six hours of really true deep work. Like that's where you're like thinking really hard per day. End of story. And that's only if you've been practicing it like a muscle. Most people can't concentrate for that, like on something really hard for that long. Most people can only concentrate for like whatever, 10 minutes, 90 minutes if you're really good. And so it just doesn't make any sense to hustle unless, you know, 80% of the time you're working on fluff or like 
like easy stuff. But if you really want to build a thriving, successful business, you've got to do what I always call the hard brain work. Like you've got to do the hard stuff. You've got to learn and you've got to stretch your brain and you've got to like write better copy than you've ever written before. And if the only way to know you're doing that is if it hurts, like, and and I know, but if you do it like that, you actually work so much less than if you sort of half-assed it for 80 hours a week. So hustling, no hustling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm so glad that you brought this up that this, this idea that, or this like obsession that we have with being busy, right? Like, look at me, I worked 14 hour day. Okay. But like, did you really, or were you on Twitter for six hours? Right? Like, thank I, you. I yes. <laughs> Not that Twitter can't also be part of a business strategy, but yeah, I, um, I love Cal Newport's work and I, I loved and also found it difficult to read deep work because it felt like he was calling me out with every single page, especially how he talks about basically the reasons why he doesn't use social media and how it's, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely paraphrasing and being dramatic, but how it's basically breaking our brain and like that we can't do deep work because every 15 minutes we're like, got to check Instagram, got to check Instagram, you know, and it like messes up our brains. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. I have no good answers, but going into 2018 and with some of the creative goals that I have and just figuring out how to dedicate more and more of my time to deep work, that it's like, I've spent so many years of my life and sort of different industries, different career situations of just doing a lot of busy work. Right. And like, it's just no substitute for like, you know what it is when you're actually doing the work that you and only you can do. And that that's the stuff that's going to move, you know, whatever your project is forward. And it's just not the same as like answering emails and checking off, you know, things off of like a to-do list just to make yourself feel busy because that makes my ego feel good. You know? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I love how you put that. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So this idea that, so it sort of goes hand in hand where you're saying that you don't agree with that advice that you have to hustle and work, you know, 80 plus hour weeks, whatever. But that sort of begs the other question of, you know, are there any, and obviously I'm sure there are, but for you personally, like what helps when it comes to either, I don't know the phrasing to use, but time management or efficiency or like what kind of techniques have allowed you to not follow that advice? Yeah. So, um, I just have to start with the story that I burned out at the age of 19. You know, most people burn out like in their thirties or forties or maybe in their twenties, but I burned out in college at 19. And what happened was I had sort of reached this point of like extreme depression and bulimia and I was miserable and I was unhappy and I was, you know, doing an Ivy league engineering education plus having to work 20 hours a week Um, plus having to volunteer to keep a small scholarship that I had, plus working as vice president of my sorority, I was not sleeping and I was a wreck and I sort of fell apart. And, um, I was like ready to like change majors and change schools. And then I realized I had such a specialized, um, college track so far that I'd have to stay in college longer. And that was worse idea than just (laughs) plowing through the rest. This is the first thing I had to do, which is still a strategy I use now, but was I had to start saying no. And so like I said, I quit my sorority and I remember my roommates, I wasn't living in the sorority house. I was, but I was living in a house with some of my friends and they, they didn't know. And they kind of found out when I just didn't show up for the first meeting. And they they were like, there was a little bit of like, Jenny, what did you do? Why did you like, why are you not a little bit of pressure? And I had to be like, I, I just can't. And started saying no to staying out late and going to bars with my friends. Like I was like, 10 o'clock guys, see you later. You know, it was a Friday night at 10 o'clock and would go back and to my apartment and I would go sleep. 
and starting eating better and taking care of myself. And, and really like, so the first thing is, um, say no and starting getting okay with saying no to things that people don't want you to say no to. Because like Byron Katie says, uh, a no to you is a yes to me. And so I was saying yes to taking care of myself. Like I had never, ever done in my entire life ever. So that's sort of the, the, like the first thing is when you start saying no to things that, don't really align with your values, you then like free up a little bit of time. Yeah. I just want to jump in one sec because I think this is such an important thing to underscore that we're told to say no and have boundaries and all this stuff. And I love what you're speaking to that that's uncomfortable, right? Like I remember I went to a a talk and a workshop that Elizabeth Gilbert did when she came through Bend, I don't know, two years ago. And she was talking about this exact thing. And she was like, you know, we're told that people will respect you more if you say no. And she's like, no, people want you to say yes to their thing. They're not going (laughs) to like you. And but that's also fine. And they'll either come around or they won't, or then you'll get successful enough that then they'll want you back anyway. Or, you know, that it's this yeah. idea that it's actually really uncomfortable when someone straight asks you to do something and you say no. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, and then this like even comes back to business like today. So let's just use a couple examples. Cause we were talking about this before. Um, like I got an email from, or my assistant got an email from somebody who purchased, I have a DIY list building program. And somebody purchased this program and she wrote in like, hey, I was sort of, um, I posted something the other day in the Facebook group and I'm waiting for Jenny's feedback on it. And I really expected her to be more involved in the group and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, my assistant writes back like, I'm so glad you're enjoying the program. Um, This is a very low cost DIY program. It's a bonus when Jenny chimes in, but it's not a guarantee. She saves her time for her high end paying clients and her, these other programs. Um, We do care about your success, but we just want you to know you can't count on Jenny to give you feedback. So there's like, there's a boundary there and she may have been mad or she may have been like, Oh, okay, that was fine. I have no idea. Um, But I also had to be okay with her then being mad at me and being pissed off. But I have pre-made the decision. This is, this is my boundary. Like maybe I'll show up, maybe I won't. It's not a promise I make in this particular group. So I pre-decide what I want for me and why I want it. And I get on board and then the rest of the world can know. And I know then that I, not everybody's going to like it and they're going to push back, but I have the mental strength because I do the mindset work <laughs> to be okay with not everybody liking my choices. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, so anyway, I, t- I totally interrupted you before when you were saying, so saying no, definitely one tactic. Anything else oh, you yeah. want to share? Yeah. So then being really mindful of where you're spending your time, like your comment about Twitter. I say that I say that same thing all the time, except I usually say it about Facebook, but it's the same deal. People are on Facebook all the time and they're not sitting down for an hour to write their blog post. They're like sort of trying to write a blog post and get an idea and get bored. And it feels hard to go over to Facebook. And then an hour later, they're like, man, it takes me so long to write a blog post. It's like, well, you were actually writing your blog post for that whole hour. If you had sat down and just been on this again, I'm a, I used to sound like a freaking broken record. If you sat down and you start to write this blog post, it's going to feel, it might feel uncomfortable because it's new or it's hard or you want to tackle something that you've never done before, it feels uncomfortable. And if you can be okay for five minutes being physically uncomfortable and still do the writing anyway, you'll get through it and to the other side and an hour later, you'll have an amazing blog post done. But if you always give in to that discomfort of this is hard and new, so I need to go distract myself, then your productivity goes out the window. So becoming okay with this is hard and feels uncomfortable and I want to crawl out of my skin and I feel like I'm in a straitjacket and I want to run away, but I'm not going to. I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to do the work. 
you you like quadruple your productivity depending on how <laughs> how distracted people are right now. It's like that's the biggest thing when you sit down to work, work and get it done. Forget all those other distractions. You can get your work done in six hours a day. I used to do it at corporate. I would have coworkers, you know, my peer bosses who were like working nights and weekends, and I was like, I don't know what's wrong with you guys, but like I leave it two on Fridays. I leave at eleven, but I think you all would call me out on it. I'm done every day by five. I don't bring my laptop home because when I'm at work, I work. And I think, I think that's really key if you don't want to, um, if you want to be more productive, actually do the work. Um, okay, so here's what I want. Yourself. I want to call you and have you tell me exactly that same thing every single day. <laughs> <laughs> Are you on Boxer? I can do that on Boxer. Oh on Boxer? my God. I, you, you don't know the over-under of how many times I'm going to re-listen to everything that you just said. That was like the best aggressive pep talk <laughs> that I very much needed and you're preaching to my soul. Um, and so this idea, I love this idea of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. I, I feel like I'm a lot better at that at, uh, in physical ways, like over the last mm, six years-ish, you know, it's happened for me with running, it's happened with long distance hiking, that I've really made that a priority to be like, something can be hard and you can still do it. You're not going to die, right? And yet it's like that same feeling when you were talking about the blog post, the blank page is scary always, right? That's why I love Stephen Pressfield's work. Like resistance is real. There's nothing wrong with me that when I sit down at this blank page and I want to climb out of my skin and die, first of all, I'm not special. Everyone feels that way. Second of all, I'm not actually going to die. And third, the only answer to that is sort of what you were saying at the beginning that you're a great coach because you've coached a lot of people. The only answer is to build that muscle to be able to like watch that cute part of my brain that's like, oh, sweet. Like you, you want to go to Instagram again? You want to go again? You want to get a snack? You think you have to cl- organize these bills? Like, no. Like, okay, sweetheart, head pat. Like, just come back, come back. Like that act of like continuing to come back to the blank page. And obviously writing is just one example. It comes up for different people in different types of work, but oh my God, it's just, it's so true. And we're not special and we're not alone. And like, we can do it anyway, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, what, what underlines all of this is, um, self-awareness. Like you have to learn to operate in this world and watch yourself operate in the world at the same time. Because if you are going through your day, doing your things, um, and you're in yourself, you, you don't have perspective of what you're actually doing. But if you can go through your day and watch yourself from the outside at the same time that you're doing the things, you can then catch on to what you're doing that is or isn't serving you. So like you can be hiking and you're like, you can have uh, cactus spines in your leg and you could be bleeding and you could be uncomfortable and you could be crying and you're going to be experiencing that. And then a smarter, wiser part of you is watching yourself being like, I know this is hard, sweetie, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. And so like to own those two things at the same time in, in whatever challenges we have to do. So if we can start paying attention, um, we can then like hold ourselves, uh, be aware or hold ourselves accountable. I don't know what the right, right word is to, um, yeah, pay attention. We can start paying attention <laughs> and mm-hmm. make different choices. Yeah. Which brings up another, you know, potential interesting like piece of business advice that I know that you've said that you don't agree with this idea that like, well, if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Does it feel good? Did it feel good to go hike what 800 miles on the ATT? I'm it pretty did not. sure. Yeah, right? But you know what? No one can ever take that away from me. And you know, so I feel I feel like this is an interesting one. This idea of if it doesn't feel good, don't do it because it's sort of a a double edged thing because. Obviously, what you were saying at the beginning that one of your greatest skills is, you know, tapping into your intuition and, you know, when it's working with a client, if it doesn't feel good, don't do it doesn't mean stay stuck in something that you absolutely hate that at a higher level isn't right for you. I think you're talking about this idea that if it doesn't feel good in the moment, you know, like that it's not supposed to be so hard. Yeah, I'm so glad you're giving me the opportunity to clarify this because we just recently did a post on Facebook that's been shared a lot, which says, um, 
says this basically this whole thing that if it doesn't feel if it feels hard that it doesn't whatever whatever you just said because I, you said it more eloquently than me I'm just excited that you give me a chance to explain it so people have commented on that they're like well but your intuition is always right and inspired action feels good I'm like yeah inspired action feels good but so does like taking a hot bath and so does avoiding doing hard things and just because like I'm not saying ignore your intuition and I'm saying sometimes your intuition is going to tell you to go do this thing and it's really hard and uncomfortable, but you actually should go into it. And, and so it's not, this is not like a blanket statement. Don't do hard things or always do hard things or all hard things are the right path. But really I see more people biasing to that feels hard. So it must be wrong. And so I really want to, this message of if it doesn't feel good, don't do it is really talking to those people who have heard it should feel good to go after your dreams. Mm -hmm. Should, it doesn't feel good to go after your dreams. It's hard. (laughs) It's, it's painful a lot of the time, but it's like, it's like a good painful. It's like, oh my God, this hurts so much. But like, there's a small part of me inside that kind of loves it. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's. That's the feeling. Yeah, I was talking about this with my therapist, I think last week, now that I'm like just starting down at the very, very baby beginning process of writing my first book, that, you know, this idea or this thing that we're told that, you know, if you want it badly enough, it'll happen. And if it hasn't happened yet, it's just because, you know, you, you don't want it enough or it's not the right thing. And that I feel like the complete opposite of that is true. I've wanted to write a book since I knew what books were. And I'm, I haven't done it because I'm afraid and it's hard. And sure, there's some of maybe I didn't have the right thing that I wanted to write about yet. But this idea that like, if you want it badly enough, that's enough. That's absolutely not enough. Because the more you want something, the more emotional stuff is attached to it. The more baggage you have, the more fear, the more resistance, like... I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot that like, it's awesome to tap into our intuition in a, in a higher way of when you're saying, if it doesn't feel good, if it means, if it truly doesn't feel aligned, if it's not with your values, if you have to act in a way that isn't, you know, the way you want to be acting. If like when you left your corporate job that you said, okay, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life at like a higher level, that didn't feel good. But day to day building your business doesn't feel good. And yet (laughs) it's, it's like being able to, I think about this in terms of running a lot that, I mean, so much of what I understand about life, I learned, you know, through running that it's like, I can want the, you know, what am I trying to say? You know what it feels like to want the thing overall, but to not want it in the moment. Meaning it's raining. I don't want to run outside. I'm kind of tired. I'm not really in the mood. I don't want to do it, but I want the thing that it's going to lead me to. So, okay, too bad. Do the hard work, (laughs) you know? Yeah. You have to be smarter then your small self, like there's a small part of us that says this is hard, it's cold, it's raining, like that's our small selves. We have to like show up as our big selves. Like it's cold, it's raining, but we also know that once we're out there for 10 minutes, we warm up and it kind of feels pretty sexy to be running with rain pouring down your face. Listen, listen, you are not wrong. Yeah, while listening to like movie soundtrack music, yeah. That's another thing that people don't talk about maybe because it feels weird to be braggy and ego-y, but it feels real badass to do something that's harder that maybe your past self or someone else wouldn't be willing to do that was basically what got me through the Arizona Trail. I was like, "You're a boss bitch right now," like, <laughs> <laughs> and you so were. Oh my god! <laughs> and also, it's okay to talk about that, right? To be like, it's fine to do stuff because it makes me feel like a badass, you know. That it's, I don't know. Yes. <sighs> I'll tell you. I just have to say, since we're talking about that, you one of your posts while you were on the trail you did like hashtag I can do hard things. And when I saw that, so like I told you, I was obsessively following you. Like I kind of otherwise don't do Instagram very much. I mean, I'm there, but anyway, I was following you. I was checking my phone every day for your posts. And there was the one day where you said like, hashtag I can do hard things. And I was talking with a friend. We were going for a walk in the forest in town and 
she was talking about something and she's like, it's so hard. And I was like, I texted her later, hashtag, like you can do hard things. And she's like, Jenny, that hashtag changed my life. She goes, I just started taking, I'm like, I cannot take any credit. That is this awesome woman that you have to go like obsessively follow her on Instagram right now <laughs> that she's doing this hike. And so then in my program right now, we're doing like a lead up to my, the launch for my big program right now is just like a whole bunch of really, really great free training. This week's post that I gave them with the lesson was to post something they're doing hard and use the hashtag. I can do hard things. So that comes back to you. <laughs> I love it. That's so awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I, I guess I'm just going to say this because it's fine to share imperfect, like come not completely thought out things. I have this dream. I don't know what shape it would take. I don't know how it would work, but of starting a, I don't know if it's a mastermind group. I have no idea. But around this idea, like a group of people. I mean, probably a group of women, but a group of folks who are committed to that idea, like that we can do hard things, even if someone's hard thing is really different, right? Like someone's hard thing one week might be having a tough conversation with their sister for someone else. It could have to do with, you know, getting out of a relationship. It could have to do with the business stuff that we're talking about, or, you know, trying to train for a triathlon, whatever. Just this idea that like a group of people who supports each other with this, like practicing courage, like you can do hard things. You can do hard things. Like just that sort of daily, I don't know. I have like a a dream of having some kind of group that I start that's like that. Let's do it. I'm in. I'm in. Let's, <laughs> let's just start it. I am in because <laughs> I am so doing so many hard things right now. And it's so painful. And to just be able to tell someone, oh my God, this hurts so much. Yeah. It would be really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're the expert in like hosting groups and doing things. So maybe we will talk about this. But <laughs> so funny. Um, so one other um, thing that I know that you mentioned uh, under the umbrella of popular business advice that you don't agree with specifically to online business. And I, I have seen and heard this and fallen into this trap too, this advice that you need all these streams of income and like fancy sales funnels and like all this sort of complicated business tactic stuff going on. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So it's become much more of a problem now than when I first started in the online world in 2009. Like uh, there's some research that we looked up that said like, I can't remember the number, right? I'm really bad at quoting numbers, but let's just say in the last five years, the internet has gotten like 300 times more complicated. Like Honestly, there's that many more options. There's that many more things available. It is so much more complicated. And so what people see is, oh, look, the people making multi-million dollars, they have a mastermind and a podcast and a blog and this small program and they have these complex funnels and they have this and they like see all the things that these people who are making multi-million dollars, and I have made these mistakes as well. So (laughs) I was not immune. They see what these people have and they think I need to create that to get there. And it's like, yes, but no. So I, before, I'm going to press pause and I'm going to use an example, which is, let's say that you have this idea to like, oh my God, I want to learn to cook a five course meal with wine pairings and do a dinner party for my friends. That would be amazing. But right now, all you can make is macaroni and cheese. So you don't start by telling your friends, hey, guess what? We're going to have a dinner party next week. I'm going to like cook everything. It's going to be five course meal. We're going to do wine pairings. No, you start by saying like, I need to learn how to cook. So let's see. One of the easiest things you can learn how to cook is like scrambled eggs or an omelet. So the first thing you do to make your five course dinner with wine pairings is to start by learning how to make an omelet and like get really good with an omelet. And maybe there's just cheese in it. And then maybe later you add vegetables and then maybe later you garnish it with some like fresh parsley. And then you say, okay, now that feels really good. I'm good at that. Now I'm going to work on creating like maybe a stir fry. Fantastic. And I'm going to use a bottled sauce. And you get really good at stir fry and your family thinks it's awesome. And then you decide, I'm going to go fancy here and I'm going to make my own sauce. And so then like you're doing stir fry with a homemade sauce. And slowly you're building up all of these skills. 
to do all these things bit by bit, but you master one thing at a time. And eventually, after you learn how to make all those things, you now have this skill set of cooking that you can execute a five course meal with wine pairings. And so the same is true for business. People are trying to jump from, I have this idea. I want to teach people how to whatever, take better pictures with their iPhone. I want to turn it into a multi-million dollar megalithic empire. So I need to start doing all these things. So they try to create the five course meal from day one. But when really what they should do is like get really good at having a website and then writing a blog and then building their email list and then maybe creating one program, one small class and market that first and see how it goes. Do you sell any? Do you sell a lot? How was it to write sales copy? What did you, what did it look like to do that sales process? How could you do it better next time? So slowly building skills, focusing on one thing at a time, then eventually like then eventually selling that $49 class on taking good pictures with your iPhone. You know how to do that. That works well. You know the marketing, you know how to build your list. That's working. And now you can get like, okay, well now it'd be really fun to do a retreat where I teach people in person. Okay, great. So now you've got a new thing that you have to learn how to deliver and to market and to sell because with each aspect of business, you have to learn not only how to create it and deliver it and deliver it well, but you also have to learn how to market it and sell it. <laughs> and so when you think about the five course meal, it's not just about having it, but it's about knowing this, having the cooking skills to create each of those five courses and understanding the taste of those foods and then how they pair with the wine. So every one of those things is really complicated. So we, we create the same thing in business, but instead, if you just start with one at a time, you then master like, okay, so I, I like to teach my clients to master one-on-one -on -one services first because it's the most profitable you get the highest turnaround on time on feedback you, you don't need to have the same marketing skills to do it so my clients come to me they're like okay i'm a nutritionist a coach a life a bookkeeper a health coach a personal trainer whatever it is great you know how to do your thing like you know how to do whatever it is you do next thing we're going to do is make sure that you have structured programs that deliver results to your clients Fantastic. We, we master that. Then once they have structured programs, now we say, okay, how do you write copy that talks about what you do? Great. Let's master that. Now, how do you talk? How do you go sell it? How do you go find those clients? Awesome. And then they start working on getting clients and serving those clients and delivering their program and getting really good at it. And then they make the program better and then they master marketing sales. I mean, so they're building on their skill set one at a time, as opposed to sort of jumping to five course meal with wine pairing. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I also think that it's so easy to get distracted by the sort of fancy stuff. Like I have to have these amazing YouTube videos and I have to do this and I have to have that. that, that, that. And you know, the, the question of, okay, but are you actually good at what you do? Like, let's start there, right? Like with this <laughs> idea, like work on your craft, you can have like the best, most expensive website ever. But if you aren't, awesome at what you do, it doesn't really matter, right? This idea of like starting simple, master what you do, and then scaling up or whatever that looks like to the way you just described one step at a time. Yeah, it's yeah, yes, yes, yes. I have nothing else even to add. But I think, but again, I feel like some of that comes, maybe I do have something else to add. I think that that comes down to sort of what we were talking about before. Oftentimes, this fear of hard work, right? That it's like so much easier to focus on taking yet another, you know, webinar on like building up your Facebook page or whatever. Not that learning Facebook skills isn't useful, but like it's much easier to focus on that than it is to like sit down and do your work. Yeah. And I have, I have a friend who's, uh, who has a, a friend who has a friend who likes to talk about, loves to talk about ideas. Like, wouldn't it be so awesome if we created this like automated funnel? Wouldn't it be so great if we created this digital product? Wouldn't it be so awesome if we did this, this thing? And I have talked with her before about, um, like, yeah, man, it's so much more than about ideas and learning. Like at the end of the day, 
the way you create success in anything is through action. Like you cannot create success just by thinking about ideas on their own. They have to be implemented. End of story. And so she went back and told her friend this and they, they coined it idea masturbation. It, it feels so good. It may not go anywhere, but it feels so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this idea of just talking about these ideas that you want to implement and these things that you might want to do. And this is like, it's so fun to talk about that. It's so fun, but it's not productive, <laughs> but it's really, you know, the hard stuff is when you, when you take action and put it into place. So that was yeah. a little bit of a tangent, but no, 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 <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> but I think that there is this common theme there, right. Of like kind of getting back to basics and just like do the work. Yeah. And it really, yeah. it's not complicated. It's not really hard. It's the internet world is a whole lot less complicated than people make it out to be. When you, when you tune out 99% of the stuff that you don't have to do and you're just like, Oh, like I'll teach my clients. All you have to do, you need a website, you need a blog, you need to build your email list and you need to serve your clients. Like, yeah, it's kind of good if you're on Facebook, if your people are on Facebook, like that's like five things. If you stayed focused there and did only those five things, you could grow to a multi six figure business yeah. pretty quickly. I mean, I, I all the time reference my dear friend, Alex Franzen, who's been on the show a couple of times. Like she doesn't use social media anymore. She used to, but, and because she's amazing at what she does and she has her clients and she has her business model set up the way that she does and has no problem selling out events and having a wait list like that's, but that comes from being excellent and consistently over delivering on what she does and having built those skills over a long period of time. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. But it's not about like, can you have like the shiniest like $20,000 website out of the gate, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. It doesn't, I tell people, it's just, and you know, it's so true. Like there's like 1.2 billion websites in the world. Nobody knows your website exists. Like, I don't care how great your website is. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows it's there. <laughs> people care about what you can do for them. Like, can you help them with their problem? Yeah. So really that simple. <laughs> the last thing that I want to talk about before I let you go, you mentioned a couple times before referencing um being sick when you were sick. Um I know I assume you're talking about Lyme disease. Will you talk about that? Yeah. So um yeah, the gist of it is so I quit my job in 2009 and about not quite a year later, I was like something's just not right. So like when I quit my job, I instantly started sleeping 11 or 12 hour nights. I'd always been like a consistent 8 hour a night gal except, you know, before I was burnout <laughs> and that taught me to get consistent eight hours a night. And, um, but I quit my job and I sort of gave myself a space and I was, you know, sleeping 10, 12, 10, 11, sometimes 12 hours a night. And for the first couple months, I thought, well, this is just me detoxing, just no big deal. And about nine months later, I can't remember nine months or a year later, I was like, I'm still sleeping 10 or 11 hours a night. Something just doesn't feel right. I don't really know what's going on. And so I went to just a primary care doctor and she ran a couple of tests and she comes back and she says, you're just expecting too much of yourself. There's nothing wrong with you. And I was like, okay, great. So I will ignore all of these physical symptoms that I, like just are not quite right. And it took me about two years, two more years. So it wasn't until the end of 2012 where I just felt awful. Like my husband and I had been training for a marathon because I was fine, right? There was nothing wrong with me. So I can train for a marathon and we would train for a marathon and we'd be, you know, gone for a four hour run and I would come back and I would spend the next two days sleeping to cover, recover from that training run. You shouldn't have to, I'm sure as you know, as a long distance runner, you should need to sleep for two days after a long distance run if you're training right. And we, we took the long, slow training plan. And so finally, and I, my whole body hurt and I just like was tired all the time. And, um, I was, um, my muscles felt like everything hurt. It didn't matter where you touched me or how you touched me. I just hurt everywhere all the time. And my head was kind of foggy. And finally enough friends were like, 
just two very persistent friends were like, you got to go find a doctor. Like you're not, this is not right. Like you need to listen to yourself. But this other doctor said, they're like, ignore her. And so I went to a different doctor and she did a bunch of tests and first it was heavy metal poisoning and then it was candida and then it was something else. And nine months later, it's like, Oh, you have Lyme disease. I'm like, okay, good. And so by the middle of 2013, I was kind of a wreck. Um, I still hurt everywhere. I was still really tired. I was um, just sort of in a really rough place mentally, emotionally. I started the treatment for Lyme disease, a common, most common treatment for Lyme disease is antibiotics, but I had what was called chronic Lyme disease, which means I wasn't just bitten by a tick yesterday. If you were bitten by a tick yesterday and the tick has Lyme disease and you get Lyme disease, you take, I forget, some small course of antibiotics and then you're fine. Like kills the Lyme disease and you're done. It's sort of hard on your system, but with chronic Lyme, without going into the biomechanics of how Lyme disease actually works, you have to be on them for a very long time to kill it over the way, the life cycles of Lyme. So I started taking real hardcore antibiotics and it's one of those, it gets worse before it gets better. So I was more tired and more achy and more upset and more angry and more depressed and more miserable and had worse brain fog and worse ringing in my ears. Like all those symptoms got doubly bad. They were already bad before and they got doubly bad. And so I, I was, about, I can't remember, I lose track a little bit of how long, but I think I was on them July, August, September, October, November, like maybe four or five months antibiotics. And then my body was like, we cannot take this anymore. Must You must stop. Like it was so loud and clear. And I was like, okay, like I'm just going to trust my body on that one. And I ended up switching over to an herbal formula. Um, a guy named Byron White has all these herbal formulas for different things. So I switched over herbal formula that's like a tincture so I could moderate how much I took. Some days I would take one drop, some days I would take 10 drops, some days I would take no drops. And I really just sort of decided that if we're going to keep killing this Lyme, I've got to trust my intuition because I can't just go all in with what the doctor said. I have to learn to trust myself over what the doctors say. Not that I don't take into account what the doctors have to say, but the doctors don't know how to heal Lyme. I, my body will know how to heal. <clears throat> so I just started paying attention every morning. I would just ask myself, how many drops today? And I was like, I don't know if this is the right number or not right number, but nobody else is going to have a good answer for me. So I was on those for maybe another six months or something like that. And then I got a really clear stop. I was like, okay. And so at that point, all of my Lyme symptoms were gone. So we're now talking the middle of 2014, late 2014. And all of my Lyme symptoms were gone. So my body, my muscles didn't hurt anymore. I didn't have ringing in my ears. My brain wasn't boggy. Like all of the, a lot of them are neurological. So a lot of those neurological symptoms stopped. But I was like, you know, exhausted and I had no energy and I had no life force and I was pretty unhappy and miserable and everything felt hard. But I felt like at this point, like I think the Lyme is gone, but now I have like wreaked havoc on my whole body. So now I have to figure out how to heal my body. And so, a lot of that has been trial and error. Like, this feels interesting. Let's go try this. Sometimes things would work. Most times they wouldn't work. And it's really just been a super slow climb since then. I would say I'm maybe like 90% better. But I don't, like we used to do a lot of physical things, like a lot of biking, a lot long distance cycling and mountain biking. We used to do hiking and camping and snowshoeing and skiing and snowboarding and all that. And so I can't do, I can walk. <laughs> I, go, I can go for walks now. I used to, you know, 20 minute walk, I'd have to take a two hour nap, but so I, I'm not there, but I'm not quite all the way better. And it's just been this like low, slow climb back to health again. And it, um, and all the while I still had to run my business. You know, I, I make the money in our house. And so not making money wasn't really an option. 
which sort of just had me hone all the things we've talked about today, saying no, really being clear on my priorities, sitting down to work and working um, and figuring out what to spend time on and not to spend time on. Like, I remember one person was like, Jenny, you've got to get on Periscope. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No. And now who cares? Nobody's on Periscope anymore. <laughs> so, so yeah, but it's, it's been a big part of the journey. And, and so I like to share the message with people like you can, you can, that's one of the awesome things about this online business world. Like you can build a business and earn a full-time living and you don't have to work crazy hours you don't have to have like 80 hours a week to build your business. You just have to be really smart and deliberate about it. Like, look, I did it with a chronic illness, but you could do it while raising your kids or traveling the world or whatever, you know, you happen to want to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like you're really great at prioritizing, like actually being able to look at like all the different things of how you could potentially spend your time and energy and then choosing. And I'm curious, I don't know if that's like it just an innate skill or is there any sort of tactics or strategies that you have for, like you said, it doesn't have to be someone managing an illness. It could be for any reason that they want to work less, you know, without compromising the success that they want. Uh, Is there anything other than what we've already talked about that comes to mind? Well, I want to just say, um, like making these things, like making these decisions from saying no to prioritizing, to sitting down and focusing, like those are all sort of core pieces, Mm -hmm. but they're also things that take practice. So like I'm 39, I've been practicing, (laughs) I burned out 20 years ago. And so for more than half of my life, I have been practicing how to create what I want without working really hard. It doesn't mean I don't work hard. It just means I don't work long and hard. <laughs> you know, you know, we've talked about our work. So a lot of it is practice and deciding like, okay, yeah, I think like, so the first thing I did was I practiced the first, the first thing I did was practice saying no and getting eight hours of sleep. And what was the other one? Um, starting to like exercise every day. That was where I started. I just started with those three things. And then like those became habit. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to get better at like when I sit down to work, actually working and not distracting myself. And then I'm also going to like go to bed earlier. And then, and so like, it was slow, it was like a slow build. It's like, what is the thing that I feel most compelled to work on right now? So maybe that's, I'm a big believer in sleep. So maybe you need to get more sleep and that actually will make it so much easier for you to get more stuff done when your brain is actually fully functioning. Or maybe you decide that you want to say no to more things or that you want to focus better or you want to prioritize. I say mindset is a big part of this too, because making those decisions like to say no or to prioritize or to focus or whatever it has to be, um, we have to sort of address the kind of the fears and limitations that come up. What else would I would say? Oh, I would say the other thing is know what, why you're doing what you're doing. So like when that person said to me, Jenny, you got to get on Periscope. And I would say like, okay, why? And they're like, well, because everybody's on it. I'm like, okay, but why? How will me spending time on Periscope increase my bottom line? And they couldn't answer that question for me. I was like, great. That's why I'm not going to do it. So it's like everything we do, asking ourselves, why are we doing this? And does this thing move me closer to my goal? Or is it just something I think I might need to do because I heard somebody talk about it? Mm -hmm. So starting to be really deliberate and analytical about where and how we're spending our time and why we're choosing those things and seeing if we can connect the dots from that place to the end result that we have that we want to create. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, you know, quote, because everyone's doing it is not a good enough reason. Even, you know, because Marie Forleo is doing it is not a good reason, right? Like that looking, I've talked about this before, but there was such a period of time for me of giving my power away too much to people who are successful on the internet. Oh, well, you know, this person says that I absolutely need to do these three things. Oh, but this person says I have to do these four things. Okay. And again, mentors are great. Teachers are great. Learning new skills are great, but being able to force or just forcing yourself, like you said, to go through the process of, okay, but why? 
Okay, but why? And there has to be one very clear answer. Otherwise, no, right? Yeah. Like, and because yeah. I want to, or because it feels good, you know, I mean, obviously we're talking specifically about business stuff, but that was a lot of my decision process when I quit Facebook, whatever, a year and a half ago or something like this is not bringing me any joy. And it, I don't actually need it to do the work that I want to do. I don't think. And every time I'm on it, it makes me feel horrible. So <laughs> I don't need right. to do it anymore. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I don't do Facebook for personal. I do it for business. Um, do it for business because it does work for my business. And I know exactly how being on Facebook and what I need to do on Facebook helps me create, create my business. But I don't sit on my phone and scroll through Facebook and look at what other people are up to because it makes me feel awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm with you. Amen. I love it. Um, so I think that that's a good place to start to wrap up. Um, before we get into our rapid fire questions, is there anything uh, that hasn't come up yet in the conversation that you want to mention? Oh, no, I, we have covered so much ground. You have left my brain empty of other things in a great way. So no. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So we have seven rapid fiery questions, um, questions that the Patreon community, the awesome folks who fund the podcast, uh, and I sort of picked uh, to ask all of the eight guests this season. So totally random questions if you are down for that. Okay. I'm a little nervous because I'm a kind of a girl who likes to prepare. So, okay. <laughs> well, there's no wrong answers. It's not a test. <laughs> Your answers don't have to be rapid. It's fine. Um, if you could have a hot fling with one fictional character, who would it be? <laughs> terrible. I don't know. I don't read a lot of fiction. Or movies, uh, TV, just a character. Okay. It would be Adam Levine. I think he is a man child. I think he is extremely immature, but there is something just incredibly sexy about Adam Levine. <laughs> Um, what's something like a fact or an idea that you learned this year that's changed the way you think about yourself or the world? What has shifted something for you this year? Yes, this actually happened last week. So my friend, um, Allie Cardi, she's a career coach, she's a great career coach. And I were talking, we, she, we went through coach training together and we catch up every month or two and have been since 2009. It's awesome. And she said to me the other day, she unlocked that next level for me in my business. And we started talking about how getting where we are now to that next level, you know, that I was talking about at the beginning, especially one where a business supports this nonprofit. I have to switch from being Jenny who runs a business to the CEO of a company. And in order for me to be the CEO of a company, I need to lead my team completely differently than I ever have before. And even differently than I when when I was a manager at a company because when I was a manager at a company I was just sort of like responsible for the people doing their job but they all did the job but the company set the vision now I have to be the one who sets the vision and leads inspires my team to go create that because in order to get to that next level I can no longer be the one who directs everything the energy of the company has to come from everyone within it to create and execute that vision and I it scares the shit out of me and it is so exactly what needs to happen next and it's hard and I'm gonna do it anyway (laughs) I love it what's one thing that didn't go as expected for you this year What's one thing that didn't, um, every year I think I'm going to get stronger and healthier than I actually do. So since 2014, I'm like, this is the year. No, no. Um, so sort of in that vein, but it doesn't have to be physical strength. Tell me about a time when you really pushed your limits, when you pushed yourself further than you had originally thought possible and wound up totally impressing yourself. Um, I will say when I hit my first, um, the year, so in 2000, I lose track of time now, 2011, 12, 13. So in 2013, my business hit roughly $300,000 in revenue. And because I was mostly doing one-on-one coaching at that time, my overhead was extremely low. 
And I was like, oh my God, I am working half of what I did at my job. I am earning twice as much as I did at my job. And I actually like the people I work with. This is so freaking amazing. (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. What's something that you plan to do less of in 2018? Um, what do I plan to do less of? I actually plan to do now. I don't know. Hmm. What do I plan to do less of? I actually want to work less in 2018. So this year I've sort of caught myself and I've sort of gotten myself into a little bit of a hamster wheel. Like I still don't, I still work maybe 30 hours a week, but I'm feeling like I'm ending this year feeling a little bit like I'm on a hamster wheel and I can't get off. Like I sort of got this momentum going, but it requires, like I was saying a minute ago, me to continue to generate it. But if I stop generating it, like stuff stops. And Mm -hmm. so I actually want to work less, but almost like my deep work, my hard work is going to be in this whole new arena so that I can then work less. Yeah, because obviously like the systems or the structure need to change in order to make you a less necessary day-to-day part of it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the next question is about books. Um, which books, I don't know, one book, two books, three books, whatever, of any genre, would you say have had the biggest impact on you or that you recommend or reread most often? Um, I would say the, the book that had the most impact on me was Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. Um, that sort of came about and um, that book came out and Oprah did like a, her, the first web class that probably ever existed back in 2000, whatever, seven, I think it was February of 2007, that book came out and Oprah did this class. And it sort of like cracked my brain open. Like that's the thing that allowed me as we were talking earlier to like go through my life and also be the witness to the person going through my life at the same time. Like reading that book separated the small self from like the bigger self perspective of me. So that I haven't reread it, but that was the one that sort of then cracked open all this other stuff Mm, to, to follow. And then I would say uh, Barbara Sher's book, I, if I could do, I would, I could do anything if I only knew what it was. Um, it's, it's a fine book, but that was the one that sort of got my wheels turning about what I really wanted to do with my life. It didn't necessarily directly answer the question, but it got me sort of moving in that, in that right direction in a pretty good way. And then my recent really good favorite read was Deep Work. Like I just read it. I'm like, yes, Mm -hmm. like he says this a thousand times better than ever, ever I could say it. But this is what I want everybody to read this because I think this is the key to the world. (laughs) I I agree with you. Totally. Now I have to actually just do what he's preaching in the book. (laughs) Um, So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take, what would it be? Um, If you... I don't know if this is going to be concise, but you have a vision for what you want for your life or for your business or something else. You have a vision. I want you to know that that vision is totally possible, but you have to become a totally different person to realize that vision. And that's okay. So just know like that vision isn't just going to be handed to you, but you can step into that. And so ask yourself, like, okay, what do I want to create? And who is the person who has that? And how do I become that person? Is it being smarter with my time? Is it being willing to do hard things? Is it getting used to being uncomfortable, like being okay, being uncomfortable? Is it paying more attention to my mindset? Is it being who knows what? Mm -hmm. But that, that thing you want is totally possible. You cannot create it as the person you are now, but you have the ability to become the person who, who creates that thing. And so ask yourself what you need to do. What's just the one next step. You don't have to do all the, you don't have to make all those changes. What's the one step you can take 
right now to move you towards becoming that person who lives that future you want. Mm, so well said. I love it. Um, what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have like a favorite way to connect with new folks? Uh, people can hop over to jennyshi.com. There's like lots for, for business folks. There's like endless resources available for business folks and non-business folks who want to learn how to work less, like more practical strategies for working less without making less. I have a free class called, um, seven secrets to working less without making less. And that's at jennyshi.com slash tell dash all like tell all, but with a dash in between. Um, and I am primarily on Facebook. Look for my business page, not my personal page. Cause I don't really do anything on my business page anymore. I'm on Instagram, but I'm not really much. I'm just on Instagram to follow you. So <laughs> they can come over there and follow me, but there's not very much there. <laughs> oh, this was so wonderful. Jenny. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. It was a absolute delight. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-funded show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi, Nicole. We're going to do a fun little round of rapid-fire questions. You ready? I am. Okay, starting with my favorite question, what are you totally obsessed with right now? Uh, so I am totally obsessed with, uh, decluttering everything, including, um, the shelter where I work. We, I just went through the garage for like a week and a half for no good reason, except because I just felt compelled. So, um, I got rid of, I think 15 boxes worth of stuff. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. It's really, it's cathartic. I'm obsessed. Yeah. I'm obsessed too. Getting rid of stuff is my favorite activity, basically. (laughs) Um, Especially I found like this time of year too. I'm like, end of year, let's get rid of all the things. My husband's like, okay, I actually need that. Don't throw that out. (laughs) (laughs) What do you find that there's anything in particular that's hard for you to get rid of personally, not like at work? Um, Things that I like that are like broken that I'm like, I can find someone to fix that. I, I'm sure I can get it fixed. And then I'll just sit in my car for like three weeks and I won't do anything about it. So I think that's the hardest thing. If it's like, if I think a thing can be repaired and then I never actually get it repaired, that's, yeah, I have a hard time parting with those things. Yeah. This but is... other than that, I'm sort of not that sentimental. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I don't know that I'm that sentimental either. I think the things that I have the hardest time getting rid of are things that sort of represent like a, a, a person that I thought maybe I was going to be right. Like, Oh, these yoga mm. blocks, because I totally have this vision of being a person who does yoga at home. I'm not going to do yoga at home. I've never done yoga at home. <laughs> I mean, I've done it like twice, you know? So it's like having to let go of the version of myself that I think I want to be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. I definitely have like a couple of projects, like back when I thought I was going to explore cooking a lot more than I ever want to. Um, I have like a blank recipe book that I was going to fill up and it just sat at me and stared at me on my desk for like six months. And I was like, okay, give up, just give up. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, what's one place in the town where you live that you'd really recommend people check out if they ever travel there, whether it's a favorite restaurant or coffee shop, bookstore, park, anything. Oh my God. There's so many. Um, so I live in Philadelphia and I live in the like German town, area area, which is sort of like sort of suburban feeling, but it's still like very much in the city. Um, and actually there's a new coffee shop that I've just opened up that I'm obsessed with. It's, um, it's called uncle Bobby's and, um, the guy who runs it is like the nicest dude. He is, um, pretty much, I think everyone who works there is black. It's a very black neighborhood. So it's like, 
it's really important that those representations get out there. Um, and it's owned by a black man and it is a coffee shop slash bookstore that features um, mostly black authors as well. Um, so, and they have great soup and great coffee. Great soup and great coffee. I love that. That sounds yeah, like an amazing really place. <laughs> um, so obviously we were just talking about decluttering, but this doesn't have to be a physical thing. What's one thing that you've had to let go of or stop doing this year in order to move yourself forward? Mm. Sleeping in. <laughs> um, I've been waking up at like 6.30 or earlier, which for me is a miracle. Um I didn't think I was the type that could get up early. And it turns out now that I've been doing it for a few months. Um, yeah. Oh, and one more thing, I guess, uh, the idea that I didn't have to be medicated. Mm. Uh, that's a big one. I started taking anxiety medication in June and it has uh, changed my life. It's amazing. But um letting go of the idea that I didn't need it was hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can very much relate to both of those things completely. (laughs) Um, What's one decision in your past that had you chosen differently, you feel like would have led you down an entirely different path in your life? Oh man. So in 2013, uh, my boyfriend and I decided that we wanted to go on a big trip. So we both quit our jobs um, in early 2014 um, or I guess summer 2014. And we went on this like four month road trip around the country. And, um, the job that I was at at the time was a publishing job. I was in, um, college publishing for textbooks. And, um, after the trip, I was like, I can't go back to that. Like I, I was miserable. This is like clearly not the life. So if we had decided not to do that trip, um, I think I'd still be in publishing which is crazy to me because I'm in animal welfare, which is like an entirely different world. Um, (laughs) So yeah, the decision to go on the trip. That's so interesting. And then the last question, what's one thing that you've recently been wishing people were more open and honest about? Ooh. um, I mean, I feel like I've been hearing this on your outros a lot and from your guests a lot, but definitely money. Um, What specifically about money? I think... (sighs) how, how they afford things. Like I, you know, I'm, I live in a two income house, but I don't make very much because I work in nonprofit. (laughs) And so, and my boyfriend works at a school, so it's not like he's making a ton. Um, and we, you know, we're not like, it's not tight. We're okay. We're saving some money, but like, we can't afford to go out every week. We can't, you know, there are a lot of things we can't afford to do because it's just not realistic. And I feel like people just aren't willing to talk about the fact that like, you know, they can go to Scotland because they make this many figures a year or, you know, I just feel like income versus expectations of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I it's th- weird. I think so too. I don't, the money thing, you're right. It does keep coming up with guests in the community. Anytime I send out any kind of survey to the community about what's something that you want talked about more, I swear half the, the responses are about money. So there has to be some kind of a, like a really drilled down conversation that maybe we just do this within the community or, you know, maybe it's something public <laughs> on the show, but I agree with you. I think I, I had someone um, in our community send me an email too uh, that I guess recently she had, 
had opened up this conversation with some close friends, specifically around the idea of debt, and found out that, you know, one of the friends who uh, everyone was always perplexed, you know, how are you going out so much? How this? It's all on credit cards, right? And oh, like, not that, of course, that's not always the only reason right. but, or the only way to make something happen. But she was like, oh, it was such a relief to know, okay, this person doesn't have some magic secret that I don't have or some anyway. Right. So, mm-hmm. Well, and I grew up in like a very wealthy community and a lot of the people that I grew up with, um, you know, either have gone on to work in like finance or be like corporate lawyers, um, or they live off of their parents' money. And like, I, you know, a couple of my former good friends, um, you know, were paying who knows how much, like $2,500 a month in rent on the Upper East Side in Manhattan for their I feel like studio that's cheap or whatever it was. Like, <laughs> for Manhattan, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and, but like, I know how much they were making and it wouldn't have afforded that. Mm-hmm. So like, just admit that your parents are helping you. Right. Yeah. It's like, I feel like the lack of honesty has to do with all the judgment, right? Around. Yes, I, totally. I mean, obviously I talk about that openly here in terms of the way that I've chosen to fund the show, right? This idea that money has to come from somewhere. right? <laughs> oh yeah. Like, and like, I wouldn't be able to work, you know, m- my boyfriend pays 60% of the bills or more. Um, and I wouldn't be able to work in this field if I didn't have his help. Yep. So, you know, yeah, I love definitely- it. A challenge. <laughs> Honesty. Well, okay. That Maybe that's our 2018 uh, <laughs> assignment for ourselves. <laughs> so um, speaking of funding the show, you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making the podcast possible with your small and powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to do that, why you decided to dedicate your money in this way. Uh, so I've been following your work for a long time. Yeah, um, that's true. We, you've been, I feel like we've known each other a long time now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to say like 2009. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely like I knew it was before I, was I quit drinking. I was in college. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely before you quit drinking. Back when you were still doing like the uh, bloggers in Las Vegas yep. trip. Um, that I never got to go on, but <laughs> I tried. We'll do, we'll um, do something else. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to you hopefully coming to Philly. Um, but yeah, so I've been following you for a long time. I've always loved your writing. Um, and I think your life sort of changed like three months ahead of mine <laughs> uh, on almost every, like every big change that you made was sort of three months ahead of big changes in my life. Um, so I've, I just like, it's always been relevant. Um, and when you started your podcast, I didn't listen for the first like six months, I think, because I wasn't a podcast person, um, which thank you for transforming me into a podcast person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but once I started, I couldn't stop and I knew I had to support it. So, um, basically as soon as uh, I could afford it, I started, uh, I'm so Patreon. <laughs> grateful, not just for the support, but for you taking the the time to come and do this little outro. And to everyone else who's listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun stuff, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I honestly can't tell you how much your support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. 